Welcome to session 50 of the Bible in a Year commentary. If you started this series on the 1st of January, then today should be the 19th of February. Today we'll be looking at Numbers 31 to 32 and at Psalm 50. But so far in Numbers, we've read as the final preparations were made to leave Sinai. The journey to the Promised Land, the stop in the wilderness of Paran where the people rebel and decide not to enter the land, the journey in the wilderness as we waited for the old generation to pass and then them settling in the plains of Moab. We read through all the preparations and new instructions that seemed like random rules but were actually a retelling of Genesis 1-9. to Israel was to be like a new creation, learning from the mistakes of the first time round. We then read as Israel set off, established and ordered by God, only to immediately complain. Then Aaron and Miriam, Moses' own brother and sister, challenged whether Moses was really hearing from God. After that, the Israelites arrived in the wilderness of Paran, just outside of Canaan. Moses sent 12 spies to check out the land and 10 of the 12 complained that the land was filled with descendants of the Nephilim and they had no chance. God then tells them that none of this generation will enter the promised land. This was followed by the Levites rebelling under Korah. So the people set off back into the wilderness to continue to be tested by God until the old generation had passed. The people complained and Moses this time rebelled a little, losing his spot in the promised land. They fought some battles, complained some more, and more of the old generation died. In winning some battles, the Israelites also claimed some land. We read as they settled in the plains of Moab. There, they were seen by Balak, the king of Moab, who hired a foreign sorcerer, Balaam, to curse Israel. But God wouldn't let Balaam curse Israel, and instead Balaam blessed Israel three times, and then cursed all of their enemies. Then we settled into the final section of Numbers as the new generation prepared to enter the land. Phineas proved himself a worthy successor to Aaron and Joshua is chosen to replace Moses when the time comes. Yesterday we started working through the retelling of instructions for the new generation, recapping the various feasts and offerings as well as rules on vows. So let's jump in with today's reading numbers 31 to 32. Here we have our first account of Israel's holy war. Up until now most of the nations Israel has thought of trying to attack them first. Here, however, Israel goes out of its way to destroy a nation they believe to be evil and contamination on the land. The way they go about it can seem barbaric to us, but once again, let's try to get into their way of thinking. Looking back to Leviticus, anything that was unclean and impure was to be destroyed and removed from the camp. If there was anyone who had intentionally sinned, then they too had to be cast out or killed. The Israelites are now about to step into the promised land. The same rules that applied in the camp are now going to apply to all all the land. These Midianites were definitely an issue. They had previously gone out of their way to tempt the Israelites into sexual sin and into worshipping other gods. This contamination and temptation needed to be removed. The Israelites proceeded to kill all the Midianites apart from the women who were young enough to be trained to live like Israelites. It would be wrong to read too much into kill every woman who has known man by lying with him. The Israelites weren't going around checking. They would have just killed all the women that were of an age to have had sex. The Israelites were trying to wipe out the Midianites entirely. If they kept some women alive, then they may have already been pregnant with a Midianite baby. With that said, there's no dancing around this subject. To our modern sensibilities, this seems incredibly barbaric. These were barbaric times. Each of us has to come to our own decision if we're going to let that undermine our faith or if we have to admit that we are too far removed from the time and culture to properly understand it and trust that God 
in his wisdom, had a plan. Now let's be clear, this doesn't justify holy wars now. The way of dealing with unclean things before Jesus was to destroy them. You couldn't risk them contaminating more things. But once Jesus came on the scene, everything changed. In the kingdom of God that Jesus brought, there is no fear that unclean things will contaminate clean things, but that clean things will purify unclean things. This is why Jesus went around touching a bunch of sick people, because his purity makes others pure. So as Christians, we have no excuse for holy wars. Instead, we are to purify the rest of the world by loving right, not by killing and destroying. After conquering this part of the land, two and a half of the tribes decided they wanted to settle here. The thing is, this wasn't part of the promised land. They were about to step over the River Jordan into the promised land. Yet these guys decided they would prefer to live here. God has given them a plan, but in their own wisdom, they saw something that looked good and decided to do that instead. Moses initially says no. This would break up the unity of Israel. These tribes then decided to bargain with him. They would continue to fight for the rest of Israel until they had also claimed their land. Then they would finally get to live in this land. The idea seemed good to Moses, so he went for it. Unfortunately, we will find out in future books that this division between the tribes east of the Jordan and the tribes west of the Jordan would come up again and again. An idea might seem really good. We might be able to find lots of good reasons to go ahead with it, but we can't always see the full extent of our actions. This is why it's always important to check in with God, something that people didn't do this time. But that's Numbers 31 to 32. Let's have a look at Psalm 50. This psalm is one of the 12 attributed to Asaph. Asaph was a Levite musician who was key in leading worship under David. Have a look at 1 Chronicles 16 verses 4 to 5. The psalm falls into the category of wisdom psalm. It was likely read during a regular ceremony where Israel renewed the covenant of God. It describes God inviting the people into his presence, teaching the true meaning of sacrifice, and then warning those who do not live according to the covenant that they were committing themselves to. Here is a summary of the structure, but I would recommend checking out the written version of this commentary in the description to see the structure properly for yourself. So we start off in Psalm 50 verses 1 to 6. God comes and invites his people to come before him. Then verses 7 to 15, the true meaning of sacrifice. And then verses 16 to 23, the true meaning of covenant. The psalm opens with God entering the scene. He is the mighty one over all the earth. He shines with perfection and beauty. He comes with mighty wind and fire, ready to judge his people. And so God invites his people forward. The Israelites, the ones who made this covenant with him. There are actually three summons in this section. God first summons the entire earth to observe what is about to happen, and then invites the heavens and the earth to come and watch. Well, this is poetic language. God wasn't actually inviting the whole world to come to the ceremony. The point is that God will include non-Israelites. The Israelites may have been the one to make the covenant with God, but God wants the other nations to learn from Israel's example, be it good or bad. Having gathered the people together, God then begins to explain to them the true meaning of their sacrifices. God doesn't need their sacrifices. It's not like he needs more bulls or goats. He owns the whole world. And it's also not like he's hungry and needs the Israelites to prepare him food. No, what God wants from the Israelites is their thanksgiving. As they commit themselves to this covenant relationship, God doesn't want them to take it for granted. They are to be grateful and recognise their constant need for God. 
the sacrifices are a regular demonstration and reminder of this. Then God turns to the wicked, those that know the law, God's word, but don't live by it. These are the people who would stand in the ceremony and commit themselves to God's covenant and then go out and ignore it. They live however they want and they presume they've got away with it because God hasn't said anything. But God is coming now to bring judgment. He has seen their wickedness and he is giving them the opportunity to change their ways. If not, then they are choosing their own destruction. From this psalm, we learn what it means to commit ourselves to God. We are not to do it out of habit or because we're meant to. An example you might find in the church is those that take communion because that's what you're meant to do without any real reflection on what it means. We are not called to commit ourselves to God and then go on living however we want. This kind of hypocrisy will be our downfall. Instead, our commitment to God should be genuine and from the heart each time.